Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Electric Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Ask any urbanist or city planner about the merits of transit-oriented development, and chances are they'll give it the two thumbs up. As a concept for integrating a mix of land uses, buildings, and public space, all within easy walking distance to excellent transit service, transit-oriented development, or TOD for short, is increasingly embraced by the city building community as a means to offset urban sprawl and intensify underutilized areas. To learn about the benefits of TOD, as well as some of its challenges, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Leslie Wu, Chief Planning and Development Officer at Metrolinks, the Regional Transportation Authority for the Greater Toronto and Hamilton Area. Leslie is the Executive Lead for Planning and Portfolio Development of the $35 billion expansion in public transit. She's named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women in 2017, spacing Toronto's transit changemaker in 2016, and Canada's Women's Infrastructure Network's 2015 Outstanding Leader. So with that, Leslie, it's a real honour to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jeremy. So now I know you're no stranger to doing podcast interviews because I, I, I did hear you on the very first episode of the She With He podcast, which is part of ULI Toronto's uh, women's leadership initiative. So I encourage all of our listeners to check out that podcast and the link can be found on the ULI Toronto website. So in my intro, um, I took a stab at giving a brief description of TOD or transit oriented development, but I'm sure you have a much better definition. So for those listeners who aren't very familiar with TOD, how do you like to describe what it is? So first of all, I tell people Transit-oriented development is not a new uh, thing that has arrived and we suddenly embraced it. In many respects, transit-oriented development is at the essence of what folks like Jane Jacobs talked about. Uh, The fact that we can live, work, and play in a community. And what it does however, is takes advantage of where transit is located and the investments that are happening or have happened in transit and tries to create a nexus around something that is important to our everyday life, which is mobility and access to get around. So uh, for us at Metrolinks, 2EOD really represents a mechanism and a program to leverage the significant investment in public transit that we are operating and building and then taking it to the next level, which is more comprehensively integrating that transit infrastructure with land use, and thereby, in an exchange of value between the private sector and ourselves, generating even better opportunities for city building. So that is the long, the version, long version of TOD. But it, in many respects, it's it's almost, it's so obvious. Yeah. Uh, that that's what we should be doing, but at the same time, so complex and in some instances, uh, really difficult to implement and deliver. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a uh, a well embraced concept that hasn't really been implemented before, and or maybe it has to a certain degree, 
Um, but why now? Why is it starting to really build in momentum? Um, when you think about the investment and of in LRTs, mm. rail, bus, LRT uh, subways, that is that we are in the midst of, uh, we're generating a huge investment, increasing ridership mm-hmm. through the system. And by virtue of that, creating more opportunities in locations that historically uh, there was not much there there. Okay. So the transit investment itself is creating place by virtue of where our stations and stops are going to be. And, And so we have an opportunity now more than ever before to really uh, create a a whole new set of uh, financial value, economic value that I think uh, TOD gives us an opportunity to take advantage of. So is it, but is it also land supply issue where there's a there's a growing demand for living close to the urban area? There's less available land, to, less new land to build on? It's not as much a land supply issue because the region is quite large and we have quite a lot of variety of different types of landforms, some very highly urbanized areas, suburban and even rural areas. Uh, what I would say is that um, the transit itself is um, creating opportunities to for where people should invest, uh, and therefore in our business of in the transit business, you know, it, driving a revenue through more ridership, which is the business we're in, is an opportunity, and that's what we're what, that's our business. Uh, development industry is in the business of creating the built environment in and around where opportunity exists and, and in a mar- where uh, the markets are. Yeah. And so it's the convergence of our investment and the private sector investment and, and the municipality's aspirations of what they want for the community. TOD is the integration of those things and bringing them into alignment. Okay, so with the development community, you're saying the development community is starting to recognize the real merits of being close to transit uh, stations and transit lines, and that's helped to kind of bring yeah. to the notion of TOD um, uh, to the forefront. And I, w- yeah, I would actually add, it's not so much the development community is very smart, but the market, so the people, the millennials who no longer want to own a car, who want to work uh, uh, and live in in close proximity, not have to do long commutes, they're a large market force that is creating demand for this kind of product. And the products are two types, you know, the transit product and the uh, development product. Similarly, on the commercial side, you know, where do young people want to work, right? There, you know, there we now see a trend where um, uh, companies are moving to where the talent is or wanting to create centers and transit-oriented development is those types of centers that will attract talent. So I think that convergence is happening, all of this, uh, which is why it's quite timely and which is why our um, the energy that we're putting behind TOD now is sort of a, an even greater than before. Right. So do you have any examples of some TOD developments, either ones that are not good developments or either ones or ones that are, are very successful that you like to point to, either in the GTA, Toronto GTA, yeah. or in other jurisdictions? I would say there's several successful ones, and I can think of two good examples. Uh, one on the other side of the Atlantic, which is in 
in London, uh, one could look at King's Cross or St. Pancreas stations, two uh, transit stations uh, in when they were first um, looked at were in so slightly depressed neighborhoods, uh, industrial. The investment that went into uh, the serve not just the structures, but the transit authority, the TFL investing in more service. Uh, they looked, relooked at the property around and uh, integrated commercial, retail, and so forth. And and that investment uh, and the agglomeration of all these different uses has actually over time sort of grown and grown. In fact, now you know TFL is looking at so, Houston sorry, stations. Sorry, what is TFL? Toronto. Uh, uh, Transportation for London. Transportation for yeah, London. Yeah, it's okay. it, that it's there. It's the equivalent of the Metrolink's oh, uh, slightly see. different governance model, but uh, that investment in Kings Cross and Pancras is now creeping over a little further to the west to uh, Euston Station. So very, very successful. Uh, definitely, I think uh, TFL t has taken the long view in its investments. So not not short-term uh, cash, but longer-term investment in the system. And then here in North America, I would look to you know, the much-talked-about Hudson Yards in New York, right. uh, where uh, our own Canadian Brookfield has been very, very involved. And, um, and when you look at that, that is like the penultimate integration of transit, so it's not just one form of transit, multiple uh, transit providers, um, commuter rail, uh, subway, all layered in with a whole range of different types of uh, residential, but mostly com primarily commercial, large retail, in a part of New York on the west side that for such a long time has been you know, really struggling. Yeah. So in those two examples, those are in two of the most vibrant cities in the world uh, with a lot of capital and, and, a, and a lot of energy. Can, uh, when you look at that as a successful model, can that be replicated in a slight, sl somewhat smaller scale environment like the GTA, GTHA? Definitely. I, I think um, much of TOD is scalable. So, um, and what I mean by that is, obviously, density uh, generates more ridership, uh, but it's it needs to also sort of be able to grow as the region grows. So there's a challenge with doing this, and I talked about all the challenges of TOD, is, um, you know, sh there's the short return on the investment and the long return on the investment. There is the notion that... Um, a region is continuing to grow, uh, and TOD tries is a little bit of the chicken and egg. How much of investing in that location, which is up and coming, uh, as you know, people refer to it as a B market location, and when the transit arrives and the developer invests, it gradually turns to an A market, and what uh, communities refer to as a little bit of gentrification begins to happen, and value used to be created. So. Uh, so definitely, you know, not every part of Ontario is, you know, the west side of Manhattan. <laughs> uh, but there are good examples of, of um, sort of more modest scale. So we recently announced um, a partnership and a, a commercial business arrangement uh, with the Van Dyke development at Mimico Station. So there is an example where we were able to uh, sell air rights over a small piece of land, uh, which is right up against the track, 
uh, that enabled uh, Van Dyke to create more density over and above and integrate our station. Th you know, this is a part of a southern Etob a South Etobicoke. It's not a big uh, financial district of any sort. It's sort of an up-and-coming uh, emergent uh, residential community. Um, but there, the concept of TOD and the concentration and the ability of a public sector agency like ourselves to work with a private developer, bringing together and having an exchange of value to the benefit of the community in terms of the amenities it will provide. And at the same time, that exchange of value creates a benefit for us as an agency of the province uh, relative to public investments mm -hmm. and generates uh, benefits and value to the private sector. So that's that's kind of the first foray into TOD initiatives for Metrolinx. I would say it's our first Big, big one. Well, yeah, we've we've sort of played a little bit around the edges up until now, okay. uh, but I think this is us. And even that one, you know, was followed subsequently. Uh, we made an announcement about our part, our our business arrangement with the the Woodbine uh, Entertainment Group. Oh, absolutely. For the yeah. Wo Woodbine, Close which is a airport. much larger uh, sort of um, uh, arrangement, business arrangement. So we're we're moving in this kind of direction, which is starting to bu uh, build our own capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that uh, we are in the transit business. We are not in, we are not developers. Uh, developers are the people we want to partner with and uh, to work with. And that uh, together, you know, I think we can sort of create the magic that benefits uh, both sides. So this is actually a good segue into this presentation that's available. I just typed in Metrolinks and TOD. One of the first things that came up was this December 6, 2018 presentation you made to the board, you and your team. And it's called a market-driven strategy to delivering transit infrastructure. And I'm just going to read the objective, and then maybe you can help explain uh, a little bit what it is. The objective, as it's stated, is to adopt a transit-oriented development market-driven strategy for the implementation of transit infrastructure that leverages the value of Metrolinx's transit network, service, and real estate portfolio. So I'm wondering if you can just sort of open dissect that up, that? dissect that a little bit. So um, I think this refers to a, a little bit of what I started off by saying. So there is a significant multi-billion dollar investment in rapid transit happening across the greater Toronto-Hamilton area and beyond. Um, there is value uh, being uh, generated and created every time we decide where to locate a station. Uh, and in the case of uh, the GO system in particular, when we move to 15-minute all-day service, uh, we acknowledge when we started that, that expansion program that in the more highly urbanized areas, there were going to be opportunities to add new stations. The TOD program, and we were on a trajectory that said, okay, this is part of the whole program, so we will build stations, we'll build tracks, we'll build all that we need, electrification, everything, and then part of our program will be to build stations. And then as we started moving along, uh, when about 18 months ago, when our new CEO uh, arrived, Phil Verster, and I give him lots of credit for putting great energy behind the TOD initiative, mm. um, we uh, said, well, let's hold on a second. Uh, these are new locations. 
they have a strong business case, which means the return on the investment for whoever invests in it is significant. Surely, uh, if we put this to market, which our analysis says there is a market for this, uh, there would be people interested in actually d building them themselves and probably building you know, in and around and more than we would normally do just by building a station alone. And that's when uh, it sort of started to shape the fact that we should think about this program, this more comprehensively. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, what we then did was when the new government came in most recently, they were very keen to embrace uh, this market-driven strategy. Okay. And uh, we therefore said, okay, well, let's just step back a minute. Let's take a, a stronger commercial lens on how we're thinking about this investment. And um, let's ask the market, would you be willing to you know, be a business partner with Metrolinks? We need a station. You need land and, and space to develop. Right. We both know that this will generate uh, foot traffic, uh, which would be good for retail. It would, would be good for ridership for our business. Uh, and uh, that's how we sort of went down this this uh, this avenue, because uh, it's very practical way for us to actually enable ourselves to build even more transit by not focusing by, mm -hmm. by focusing on the hardcore transit pieces, okay. uh, focusing on ridership and revenue, and 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 letting the development community do what it does best. There are, I'm just looking at this mm -hmm. board presentation and there seems to be four different kind of land ownership scenarios. Mm -hmm. Do you want to walk me through those? Yeah. Um, where you have two that are on Metrolink's owned land and two that are privately owned land. Yeah, so uh, there are sort of, we ca we categorize how we would approach uh, the, the, the assets as lands that we consider surplus. So in other words, you know, the GO Transit system is over 55 years old, so there's a lot of property we own. In addition, uh, we have a lot of parking lots, which we know are not a long-term sustainable way of uh, having people come to our, enter the network. So we know we're doing an assessment of, of that, uh, what is it that we truly need in the long term, and should we dispose of some of that property, and are there people interested in that land for development purposes? Mm -hmm. That's one bucket. The next is Metrolinx-led joint development, where we may actually own land, uh, like the park, you know, surface parking areas. We're not in the development business, but someone might want to go in with us to uh, find a, a higher and better use that would integrate parking, but uh, put uh, in certain locations. Uh, it might be better to we. It, it create. There's great opportunity for development above. Then there's uh, the privately owned land. So there are a lot of properties adjacent to our property uh, where we have the opportunity to integrate the station development with adjacent landowners. Mimico is a very good example of that. The land that Van Dyke owns and the air rights uh, against uh, the corridor for our station, the only person it's really valuable to is ourselves and Van Dyke. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, uh, you know, we were approached by a private landowner to kind of uh, uh, begin to kind of think about how we would uh, work together. And then uh, and then there's uh, station facilities with private development where um, it's more around access. Uh, 
-hmm. So uh, connection agreements, uh, easements, right-of-ways, there's value in our land and the access, mm -hmm. which also uh, we have not taken advantage of and not created enough opportunity for others to um, uh, sort of uh, benefit from. So you were saying that the development community, um, you see, I guess Metrolink sees uh, a lot of upside in terms of uh, mobilizing and creating opportunities, but how has, how has the development community responded to these kind of different types of scenarios. I mean, Van Dyke has certainly yeah. Van Dyke has certainly um, uh, responded favorably. Are uh, the only reason I'm asking is because I guess with joint ventures and um, collaborative type developments involving transit stations, there's got to be a lot of technical issues and engineering issues and yeah. and other joint venture issues. So, uh, is it something that the development community is still willing to embrace? So, uh, following this report uh, in the public session of our board, we have seen a huge interest from the development community. Uh, it's very significant. And um, lots of sort of opportunities have emerged uh, just by us announcing that this is something that we wanted to pursue. So, uh, so that's number one. I think... Uh, what we're hearing in terms of concern is around um, if you are going to embark on TOD, uh, the way uh, you you work is going to have to be different in the sense that um, there's been lots of history of public agencies or public levels of public government trying to enter this space and the the I guess the accountabilities, all the layers of quote-unquote bureaucracy yeah. that you that a public agency has to be beholden to and is responsible for uh, can get in the way mm -hmm. of being agile, nimble, timely, etc. So we understand that. That doesn't mean we uh, absolve ourselves of our responsibility of a public agency, but we are looking at ways to really Im uh, change First of all, what we think is, the, in this exchange of value, what are the risks that we are best suited to retain, and what are the risks the private sector is best suited to retain? It's not simply a matter, here you go, private sector, you get all the risks, uh, and I get the reward. It's nothing like that. I think what, um, uh, so we know that we have to really have the mindset of the developer, uh, which is uh, we have to know how to be more brazen in how we take risks, uh, while at the same time balancing all the uh, sort of, di uh, you know, the, the ability to be held accountable for public dollars. Um, I would say that one of the things that is encouraging is that the capacity that exists in the development industry today, if we had tried to do this, you know, in the 80s or the 90s, uh, you know, the consolidation of finance, the consolidation of, of the, the developers themselves, the maturity of our industry makes us also be able to sort of uh, have a better chance of success because one of the most important things about entering the TOD space for us is that we are doing business with responsible, high-quality developers. Right, so you're going to be looking... So the, it's not only is it a good deal, but who are we dealing with? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so I think, uh, so that that's what uh, kind of, those are a couple of the things. I mean, there are definitely, we believe that uh, we are, from a technical standpoint, the experts in transit. And so that is something that we will bring to the table about what works or what doesn't work. Uh, we will have to um, uh, sort of, you know, clarify how how the sort of longer term arrangement would will be uh, set, especially if we have an interest in retaining uh, ownership of the stations mm -hmm. as an asset, and likely we will be the ones operating them, uh, uh, and or if not us, you know, agents of us. And so what does that mean in terms of the uh, the business arrangement? So I think there's there's quite a lot of technical details. There's the land use process and uh, how is how is how is that going to be navigated? How can we help bring more clarity to that process back to the issue of timeliness? So is the upside for the developer to be either right on top of a station or right next to a station and have a joint venture and work out all the different ownership and access and all the other technical issues and design issues. Um, is there enough enough of an upside for the developer to kind of get in and work with you as opposed to building a condo or an office tower across the street um, from a station uh, where they may not have to get as involved with, yeah. with uh, mechanics. So, so I would say, so two things. One is uh, our intent is to involve uh, the development uh, folks as early on in the process as possible. The later we are in our process and our procurement, the more and more difficult it is for everybody. So I think that is one of the ambitions we have is how do we, and we've heard that from developers, you know, don't, you know, I, it, after the fact is really, really hard. After you've already, already built that box uh, for the station and you just want me to pile on top, you know, it gets really difficult. If we're there early and we're kind of with you uh, in the process, it's easier. So I think, it's, I think that's, that's one thing that I, that I would point out. So I think the, o the other thing I would note, and the research has shown, of course, the closer proximity to the station, the higher the value. So clearly, those that are in adjacencies uh, to the station, when the service comes in, there is value that is created there, and they will benefit. I think the question to the developers that we work that, that the developers we work with have is, so the two of us together, you and me, uh, you know, you developer, me Metrolinks, we're the ones investing all the time and energy. Meanwhile folks on the edges are going to benefit. Does that seem fair? And I think the question that starts to tip towards is questions around things like transit t TIFs and, and special investment areas or special transit areas, whereby uh, questions around uh, do those that benefit have to actually, you know, do they, do we, do we, we either the, the developer I, or Metrolinks, are we um, able to uh, take advantage of some of that value? And and so, but it's a very tricky question because I think the development industry is always wary of a public agencies trying to pile on the asks. Uh, at which point, a developer will say, "You know what? It's okay. I'll go somewhere else." And that that's going to be my my next yeah. question. There was a story in the Star uh, about a month ago about the 
the province's suggestion mm-hmm. to to have the developer pay for most of the subway. This is the the new subway extension. Uh, the I guess it's one stop, but maybe it'll be three stops. Mm-hmm. Um, to have the developer pay for most of the subway construction. And in return, offer that publicly owned land to the developer for them to build. But the response from academics and from industry observers is that you would need to build um, so much in terms of uh, units and square footage to the um, to the extent of, of, of a, another city place or four or five um, Aura towers, the, the tallest tower in Canada is Aura at Young and Girard. Um, that it may not be financially viable because they would have to have so many units for it to for their performer, their financial mm-hmm. performer to work. Um, so I, I'm not sure if maybe that's an example of where a developer would say, you know, this is, doesn't work because in this eastern part of the city where densities aren't as high, it may not be as uh, as attractive as say a more urbanized area where they can get that that sort of density to help offset the cost. Any thoughts on that? So this is the chicken and egg question. Right. I think I'm sh- pretty sure when the Reichmans went into Canary Wharf, mm-hmm. uh, there was a similar question about whether or not, um, you know, you really could generate that kind of density in that kind of area to sustain and, and pay for and, and, and uh, uh, pay for uh, transit. Um, and in the end, there was, uh, you know, the government had to play a role, the private sector played a role, in, and, and, and it was a, uh, and, and it went on for quite a while. And that, again, for our listeners who aren't familiar with in Canary London, Wharf, yeah. that's the early 90s, and yeah. the Reichmans went in, and yeah. it was bad timing, but they had the vision. Yeah. And so, so I think, you know, and the other example would be Hong Kong, where the land values are so high, and they're able to uh, basically pay for the transit, from, from the return. So th- I think those who are commenting on the possibility of that, those are the models they're looking to. And then those who are commenting saying, I don't think you can do it, they're probably looking back to our history of ability to develop in and around transit, which up until now I would agree has not been that stellar, but we're turning that corner. So, you know, I, it's, not, it's a kind of not exact way of answering your question because I think we haven't really tested the market to see okay. if it's true or not. Yeah, okay. Right? And I, I would, uh, so, I, you know, in response to that kind of uh, suggestion that we could, we definitely can generate more revenue to support transit investment than we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Whether we can meet 100% mm-hmm. or even more uh, is what we're trying to figure out, right? And so I think um, uh, I think it's an ambitious, I think it's an ambitious goal. Um, I wouldn't dismiss it off the top because it's been possible in other places. Granted, their conditions are all very different. But, you know, I think at the essence of it, uh, you know, we have not really seriously, uh, as a public agency, uh, um, addressed a good way forward for TOD. And I think we're right now, as Metrolinx, on the cusp of that. Okay, so these are early days. Um and how does but we're this, moving quickly. Oh, moving quickly. Yeah, we're moving quickly. Um, so how does this tie in? And I just want to have a couple more questions. But how does this tie in with the regional transportation plan, um, RTP for short? And I know the the big one that came out was in two thousand and eight. Yeah. It's called the Big Move, and you have a 
uh, an update, if that's the way to, to uh, interpret it. It's just called Regional Transportation called Plan tra- okay. 2041. 2041. So for our listeners who aren't very familiar, what is the Regional Transportation so, Plan and how do the two differ? So the Regional Transportation Plan uh, takes a look at the transportation network and the policies and plans that we need uh, to address the growth from now until 2041. So it's uh, the focus is on what is the trans- transportation system we need, and it identifies five key things, um, of which one is the importance of the integration of land use and transportation. So it says things like, you know, finish what you started, keep expanding, don't stop, uh, optimize what you have, and that's where the land use piece comes in, and TOD comes in. And that plan, you know, in 2008 and again in 2018, explicitly stated that the integration of land use and transportation through transit-oriented development is going to be critical to our success as a region for many, many reasons. One is environmental, smaller carbon footprint as we grow, uh, you know, trying to concentrate uh, densities and development uh, and not sort of stretching too far out and consuming too much of our natural resources. Economically, because uh, the plan is built on the three pillars of environment, economy, and community. So economically, because uh, tr- uh, a better transit system, we talked already about working and living close together, where the future job, the nature, future nature of work and how people want to work. So TOD does support that. And then from a community standpoint and quality of life. And so TOD also uh, elevates our ability to uh, have a higher quality of life because of that nexus between living and working, uh, access, uh, uh, less dependency on automobiles in our ability to move around. Um, it also talks about the integration of other modes, but the TOD fits you know, really smack dab in the middle of the regional transportation plan because it is, in fact, the articulation of the nexus of land use and what we do with land and and the transit and the transportation that we're investing in. Very good. So, how do you, where do you see TOD unfolding then for for Metrolinx and maybe for other transit agencies, other jurisdictions? It sounds like it's it's it, the the concept has been around for a while, yeah. as you said initially. Um, but people are just starting to kind of get, wrap their heads around how it can be implemented. So where do you see this going? So, how long do you think so, it'll be before we see something well, really successful? Well, you know, buildings take a little while to build. But that being said, we've already started. You know, our first two uh, major uh, you know, projects, Mimico and Woodbine, are underway. And, you know, we're in the midst of... Um, um, financial close on those you know agree our agreements with those on those two properties we have a pipeline of prospects that we're in discussion with and uh we are going we're doing a lot of market soundings on potential properties that we own Uh, we now uh, are able to talk about all the assets we have and uh, we're that we're interested so we're quote-unquote open for business and uh, so we, you know, what I see ahead is a lot of energy focused on this uh, uh, revenue being generated through this effort to enable us to do even more transit and a much better collaborative exercise between the private sector, the public sector, and uh, ability to um, grow the region 
in a way that we were, it was always sitting there. We just didn't really take advantage of it. Well, this has been really interesting. I know this is top of mind. This is why I wanted to bring it as one of the uh, topics for, for the uh, podcast. I appreciate all your time on this and um, look forward to hearing more about successful TOD ventures uh, with Metrolinx and other developers like Van Dyke. Thank you very much. And I would say that, uh, you know, we are hoping that anybody listening to this podcast who is interested in doing business with Metrolinx, please feel free to contact us okay. directly. Terrific. Thanks.